Midlife Moxie. We are a community and podcast all about midlife women making this one of the best seasons of their lives. Well, I'm one of your hosts, Gail. And I'm Christina. We're going to be sharing our stories, struggles, and joys while bringing you experts on topics that you care about. And we're going to do it while having a whole lot of fun. So buckle up, girls. Let's get our Moxie on. Hey, Christina, what's going on in Cali today? Well, it's still uh, (laughs) almost 90 degrees here, if you can believe it. And I am just, I'm ready for sweater weather. Girl, I'm ready for sweater weather. Sweater weather, sweater weather. Well, it's here for people who aren't in midlife. It's for for the normal non-menopausal women who aren't hot all the time. And, you know, as plus sizers who tend to, you know, have our own natural coat but, you know, it's glorious <laughs> here right now. It's glorious. I'm telling you, the Southeast is where it's at. But I'm stoked today because we have one of our favorites back. And we do. she's been on the show several times. She, I'm just going to call her the official mental health guide mm. for Midlife mm-hmm. Moxie. Mm-hmm. She doesn't I, know I I'm calling okay. her that. Are you <laughs> accepting that? And and le- let me just say this. I, I, I believe that she's one of our favorites for, from our community. Like 100%. our community seems to just gravitate to everything that she has we to say. We just had so. our annual, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our, our one year anniversary. And Liz had the top number two and number three episodes. So I mean, that's certainly a feather in Liz's cap, but let's also just talk about how desperate people are for information on mental health and what a crisis we have in this country. So without further ado, let's just bring on licensed clinical social worker, (laughs) therapist, great friend, just an all-around cool girl, Liz Watley. How you doing, Liz? Hey, y'all. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me and happy one year anniversary. Yes, thank you. Thank we you. are pretty stoked about it. Uh, you were a big part of our success last year and actually got to see Liz yesterday. So that was really cool. It was fun. We were at a function though, Liz. And after I left, I'm like, I didn't really talk to anybody but Liz because I like Liz. <laughs> <laughs> Is that okay? It's so I, I like you, Gail. We just got our, I just thought, Oh my gosh, because Dan was asking who was there and everything. And I felt like we got in our little conversation. And I'm just like, forget the rest of these people, Liz, and I've got stuff to discuss. But so let's get into it today. We're going to broach a subject that some of you are going to say, oh my gosh, yes, please talk about it. Some of you are going to say, I don't know what the heck that is. Some of you probably don't care. But I have seen this impact people around me. And I've seen a lot of it discussed in social media. I've seen all the memes. I've seen the word mm-hmm. thrown all over mm-hmm. the place. And it's mm-hmm. narcissism. And so, Liz, right out of the gate, what the heck is narcissism? Okay. So, narcissism is, you're right, has been really um, been used as sort of a blanket statement, I would say, culturally. Um at least in the United States, as someone who is very selfish. Now, that is not what we're referring to when we talk about someone who clinically has narcissistic personality disorder or somebody who 
is you're seeing a lot of damage happening in probably one aspect of their life, most likely in their interpersonal relationships with their partner or children and so forth. Um, Not just being one conversation with somebody and saying, God, that person was so narcissistic. These days, people think think of that more as selfish when mm-hmm. we're talking about it day to day or in the grocery store. In fact, though, it's it's actually much more than that. And it's a patterned way of being that is something that can't really be determined, say, in a, a quick conversation mm-hmm. or just one expression of selfish, selfishness. Wow. Well, you know, I, I think that you're right. You know, you hear these these people all over the place just saying narcissism or that person's narcissistic and you, you really kind of look at it and go, well, gosh, maybe I'm a narcissist, you know, because it, it just gets thrown around so much. But you're saying that there's patterns and behaviors. So what are we looking for, Liz? What, well, hey, what can are we those- dive into that a little bit more, Christina? Because yeah. I feel like we use it as a um, an, an adjective that is not mm-hmm. meant with good intent. It, it's yes. a, what do you call that? It's an insult. Why are you Absolutely. being narcissist? Why are you acting so, is that right, Liz? That's the way our society mm-hmm. is using it. And it's certainly vain. And I mean, even from its origins, you know, in Greek mythology with, um, I'm going to mispronounce this a bit, Narcissus. Uh, anyway, the Greek myth god uh, was really just taken over. There it was Narcissus oh. uh, taking with their be- their own beauty. Yes. Well, so it's a very self-focused. So of course, it's annoying. It's one of these weird, a kind of an anomaly in that right now we've experienced this season where mental health is at the forefront and we don't play around with these terms and we don't call people names and we don't misuse them. And we also have some sense of empathy towards people who have a diagnosis, whatever it is almost. But there are a few diagnoses that don't get any empathy, and narcissism is one of them. It's one of them. And, you know, if, you're, if you truly have a diagnosis and you truly have these problems, I, I mean, let's kind of talk about that, how we, we kind of have our favorites. You know, if you're depressed or anxious, you get a lot of empathy, or you're sometimes even bipolarism and things like that. And then others, you don't get any empathy. So... Tell us how that, how, what's that? Um, yeah. So first to address what Christina was saying about, um, you know, maybe I'm a narcissist. If you want to look at narcissism as just say selfish, then yes, we all have some narcissism in us if we look at it from that viewpoint. But I'm talking about the really toxic, more clinically impaired form of narcissistic or personality disorder that is, or even narcissistic traits that can be a part of other diagnoses, um, that's where the real impairment is. So that's an interesting observation, Gail, and um, one that I've never looked at with that language that you just used about how, you know, a lot of people uh, may not have a lot of empathy towards someone who has narcissistic personality disorder. And I would say that's correct. (laughs) Um, Now, having when you know the origins of um, what what makes one susceptible to having narcissistic personality disorder, I find it easy to have empathy for the wounded child mm-hmm. who is um, 
likely, um, you know, different studies and different things suggest, you know, likely um, being um, ignored, uh, emotionally abandoned. So it doesn't have to mean a physical abandonment, but emotionally abandoned, um, you know, or they have a narcissistic parent. Now, this is a personality disorder. So, you know, it's not necessarily something where we know for sure through data or neuroimaging that this is genetic. We see that it's genetic um, or runs in families rather, but we're not sure why, like we are with major depressive disorder, OCD or something else. The personality disorders are, you know, often learned. So maybe this person just, you know, idealized one of their parents um, or again, may, you know, cut off from. So, you know, you the, the thing with narcissistic personality disorder, if you think of a continuum, and I'm talking with my hand scale, so you have to watch <laughs> me. Um, but if you think of a continuum and on you know one side of the continuum is narcissistic personality disorder, or another way of saying it's just extremely narcissistic, the other is going to be your um, you know, extremely passive doormat always being taken advantage of. That's going to be on the other end. And they're both rooted in shame. Mm. So, so what, what we find, I might be jumping ahead here, but what we find is that narcissistic personality disorder individuals or narcissists will typically partner with someone on the other end of that scale. Somebody who's more codependent, um, doesn't have a good sense of, you know, self always, um, or standing up for themselves or whatnot. So I'm not sure if I answered your question, Gail. I'm trying to remember what you asked. Well, I'm just kind of trying to understand it as a whole and where it fits in, because I have been called a narcissist by someone who I think is a narcissist, which is interesting. And I pointed out (laughs) to them, I know Liz, right? Uh, Liz knows exactly who I am. And I'm diagnosed as an empath. And I'm like, look at them. I'm like, I am the clinical opposite of narcissist. What are you talking about? I, you cannot be both is my understanding, Liz, with those be conflicting Correct. diagnoses. <laughs> and so I've, I have seen it get thrown around. And I've seen, it's funny because this was said to me by someone who is a narcissist. And you're like, <laughs> nice try, a gaslighter. So it, I, that's mm. another thing I want to get into is the gaslighting. But Without further ado, let's go through the the symptoms, the well, markers, the things yeah. that make someone truly a narcissist and what that how that is I, different from being a little self-focused like one of our generational people that I will not name are um <laughs> because I've noticed, you know, we have generational differences like I'm just going to say it. Like, there may I'm, be more self-absorption in uh, yes. you know, some generations than others. Correct. Yes, and, that, I know. and of course, that yeah. isn't narcissism. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think you can be self-focused without being selfish. Does that make sense? Is that? That would be, who, I would say that, yes, absolutely you can. And in fact, you know, um, it, it you know, baffles me that, that you were referenced as that, Gail. Um, but. I do think there is this particularly for women. Now, um, mostly men are diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. I think, right, it's like 50 to 75% are men. Wow. Um, but what I'm just getting from your story, A lot Gail, we can is, say about um, that. Right. Is it something I think for, if, if you're being told you are that and you really don't identify with it and you know it's not, 
you know, that that's not something for you. Another thing that may be at play is that when women begin to meet their own needs and tend to their self um, and celebrate themselves and aren't afraid to put themselves out there, then there begins to be this gender difference of, well, that person must be really selfish. That person must be really, you know, whatever it may be, because for the most part, maybe it's a Southern thing. Gail and I are both in the South. Um, for the most part, women haven't ever even put their their own selves as a priority. And now that we are, it's being looked at sometimes as selfish. <laughs> and that is not narcissism anyway. So, so there's a healthy set of selfishness. There's a healthy way to serve. And we're not talking about that. So, okay. cares, so let's, let's, I, Right. I mean, there's, there are some, some good things about making sure that we're taken care of. But we're talking about people that have developed this disorder. It sounds like it's something that was developed through childhood. Can it come on later on in life? Picking up because you were saying something about the patterns. And so how do we identify if somebody's narcissistic? How do we... um know if it's something that's developed later on or is it is it from childhood? I, I'm I'm really unclear. So help help me to understand a little bit more there. Yes. And it, and to be honest, it is unclear in the research and everything else. So for instance, we um as licensed um psychotherapists or social workers or medical providers are not to diagnose anyone with a personality disorder until they're 18 or over. Now, that doesn't mean we aren't seeing some traits of that in adolescence. Um, I believe that you begin to see with narcissistic personality disorder, there's, as a younger child, so say elementary school, you know, maybe into middle school, a lot of fantasy. And so that's the internal world that you wouldn't have access to often with a persons, but you're not seeing a lot of what we then see later, which is the grandiose behaviors um, and so forth. And you see that more into early adulthood. So um, so for those who have not about, been, who are not familiar with narcissism, because I know exactly what you're talking about. And y'all, it's my husband's not a narcissist. So just stop wondering who <laughs> I know that are, but I do know people who are, and I know what you mean by that. But for people who may not understand what these grandiose behaviors are or might look like, yeah, can you sh share? Cause I'm like, <laughs> right, right, right. What, Thank do, you. what do those look like? Yeah. Yeah. Show me what that looks like. <laughs> right. So that's what I was going to say. First, I'll walk you through, you know, what it, what it might look like in, if you're in a relationship with, um, and so. And that may be a partner, it may be a parent, um, sibling, grandma, it could be a coworker, you know, I mean, Children, anybody that you're in relationship friends, with. Right. Mm -hmm. So what you'll see, um, this. so I am not necessarily talking about DSM criteria right now. I can, but right now I'm talking about more of just, you know, if you're starting to think, is this something that's going on? First and foremost, I would say to everyone, pay attention to yourself first. So look in the mirror and really asking yourself, am I having some self-doubt? Am I having some, um, you know, uh, need for validation or am I trusting my own memory, 
my own thoughts? Do I trust myself? How do I feel in my body when I'm around this person? So see how I first started with just myself in general, just let me do a little assessment on me. And now we're going to move into the other person, which is an external view. Okay. So when I'm with this person, how do I feel in my body? How do I feel about myself? Are there times I feel really, really good about myself? And is that predictable? Does that stay that way? Are there times that then I begin to, um, you know, don't not like myself. So paying attention to our own reactions to someone um, and where we get them and how we, you know, really refining an awareness of that is so important when we're talking about ourselves and interpersonal relationships, because ultimately we can't change another person. Now, the things that I would say look for if we're wondering if this is a possibility would be never, you know, really taking responsibility for anything. Or sometimes you'll have people take responsibility for something else, but not the issue that you're angry about or upset about. Or it seems disingenuous because a lack of empathy is one of the DSM which is the Diagnostic Statistic Manual. It's like our book of how you diagnose mental health stuff. So having a lack of empathy is one of those characteristics. In addition to grandiose, so I want to make sure I don't skip over your question. So what are grandiose behaviors? They're just, they're exaggerated. And if you could see my hands, you'd see them kind of flailing up big into the air. You know, it's um, it's just exaggerated forms of affection, say. So somebody who is just, it could be, and depending on the wealth of the individual that has narcissistic personality disorder, you could imagine multiple different things. So, you know, you could, whether that's sending a helicopter down to do this or that, or, you know, or people who don't maybe have that much money, it's an exaggerated sense of, you know, I'm going to go out of my way to absurdly so to, um, draw attention to myself and to sort of, particularly if it's involved in affection, just shower somebody with all this, um, what they call love bombing these days. Now, narcissism Mm. can show up in different ways, meaning it can be, it's an excessive need for blank, and you can fill that blank in, uh, to validate the sense of self. So it's an excessive need for um, admiration of others. And sometimes some people will just only need that. I mean, that's a lot. Trust me, it makes it very difficult to maintain relationships. Sometimes it is excessive need for recognition in their business in the world. It's excessive need to, um, for money, power, control. You know, so a lot of times people with narcissistic personality disorder will meet all those boxes. We want all those things. Um, and demand it. And if they don't get it, have that unpredictable behavior, what we call narcissistic injury, uh, which is like an ego wound or rage that comes from that, or the silent rage, which you more often see in some women, which is the um, like silent treatment, stonewalling or blocking, ghosting sometimes too. Oh, no, I can be silent, but I still don't think I'm a narcissist. And I know some of you may be saying, what does this have to do with midlife? Here's why I think it's important. You know, we want to talk about things that are going on in society today. 
And I just mm-hmm. see this being talked about more than more. I find women of my age group talking about their husband, their children, people around them being narcissists. And I, I find it to be one of the most difficult situations to deal with and some of the most difficult people to deal with versus some of the other mental health things that we see. And like you say, it's a lot of times in men. Liz, you want to say something? about that? Yes. Thank you. That's what, when we're talking about the lack of empathy, again, that's where I think it comes from, Gail. I didn't finish that thought. So we can, if we, if anybody were to see where it comes from as a child, right, we visit children. Most of us have empathy for where these childhood wounds come from, but adult to adult, it can be some of the most crazy making, damaging on an internal, a lot, maybe even physically and external too. Um, relationships that a person can be in is in that with a narcissist. And because of that toxicity, it does make it very difficult to sit around and like, "Mm, let's really, you know, understand this in a warm, fuzzy way. Instead, we're just going to understand it in what's the real way. And it can be very damaging to the person who has narcissism, but also to everyone who's in relationship with them. Well, in this midlife, I see it like a lot of times when we become empty nesters and we look back at our partner and we start to move back towards them or we start to really place more emphasis on that relationship, I think that's sometimes when we start to notice things that have been there all along, but they were kind of hidden in the busyness and hidden in the minutiae of daily life. But now you're staying there looking at this person and there's kind of no excuses anymore. So I think there's a lot of women who maybe looking at a spouse or a significant other who is maybe or well, and we now your kids are we grown do have, and you're seeing this in them right but and we also have women who are coming out of marriages or you know have had spouses who have passed away and they're looking for their second you know their encore and so we oh, have yeah. to have them be aware as well like if this cuz you're saying 50 to 75% is men that's a huge number. It is. I mean, yes. that's that's really big. And so for that's for a great women point, also, Christina, because mm-hmm, we're going to get aware. into that a little further because these people mm-hmm. can be real players. And slick, very slick. I think too, <laughs> midlife women. You know, when you get in this space, and you empty nests and all this, and you start evaluating things, you're going to be less likely to put up with crap. And sometimes when you start mm-hmm. looking at what the crap really is, you see that there are diagnoses under some of these things and some things that can be fixed and some things that maybe not going to be fixed so easily. Well, and Gail, you said something earlier about being, you know, the gaslighting and, mm-hmm. and that's, Definitely that's talk very about worrisome. That. That's very, very worrisome when it comes to entering into new relationships in this season, because I feel like we have the most money during this season, you know, we, Definitely a we have the most, right? That's what I, oh my gosh. But like, we may not be valuing ourselves as women because mm-hmm. of our changing body shapes. And so we are like right. primed and ready for one of these jokers to come up. So Liz, go ahead. Yep. Or actually, you know, maybe quite the opposite. So I find this conversation fascinating. Y'all are such fascinating women. <laughs> Um, because as you're sharing, Gail, I'm realizing the difference between somebody who's been in a long-term relationship with a narcissist versus somebody who is just meeting a narcissist, Mm -hmm. um, you know, as y'all were talking about, you know, a a second marriage or, you know, dating in adulthood or in midlife. 
Um, and that is very, very different. So, you know, the beginning phases with the narcissist typically are great. Love they are mommy. great because absolutely there's, in, you know, in regards to romantic relationship, that's where that's coined. I mean, it is, it, you'll hear the stories, it's to sweep you off the feet, too good to be true, moving so fast. I mean, an ex, you know, extraordinary amount of roses being sent or whatever this is, this is, you know, love, 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 love you. If it was in a different relationship, say in work relationship or a neighbor or a friend, um, it is it is still that same high level. You're on a pedestal. They put you on the pedestal. And so what really I suggest midlife women um, or men, because women can also be uh, narcissistic, is that you know, you just trust your instincts because sometimes, even if it's so, so, so good, this person loves me so much. I haven't, you know, had this kind of attention and years, you know, but gosh, it's only been six weeks. I mean, should we be talking about getting married right now? Should we, you know, the whatever it no. may be, trust, just to be clear, right, correct. <laughs> and it trusts your gut and slow it down. And then we begin to see some of the other red but flags you know, Liz, come right out, there. you know, Right there is where we as women, especially older women, we get in trouble because even though we know we've got it going on the inside, we almost feel like we're a used car, like our body's a little damaged, but the engine's still running pretty good. And we think we have less value. And even though, mm-hmm. even when we're healthy, a lot of times we think we're less valuable in the dating market because we think that all men want, you know, a hot, hot young mod, uh, you know, model kind of person. So we are ripe for that kind of attention, especially if you came out of marriage. And I can say this openly when I left a marriage of 10 years, I made some dating mistakes right out of the gate because I was desperate for attention, desperate. And that's how I even wound up in the first marriage. He told me he loved me. He told me I was pretty. I married him. I mean, I just, I had no self-esteem. And so We've really got to be healthy. You know, you bring up the point. We've really got to be healthy mentally in who we are before we enter into these situations or we are just ripe for the picking. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. But I also want to make sure, you know, it. sometimes it's not even self-esteem that can create these traps. I mean, sometimes it's, um, you know, that it's not the Christian thing to do or my religion, you know, stops me from doing this or I need to, um, they're, they're such great manipulators. So in other words, I don't want anybody to ever think that they couldn't get help if they thought they were with somebody who was a narcissist because they were afraid they're just going to think I have a, you know, very, very low self-esteem and whatever else. Oh, no, That's no. probably true yeah. if you remain in a relationship with, you know, a narcissist that eventually will become that. But it's, you know, you can have a high self-esteem intelligent and still have a women need. that fall into You know it. what I'm saying? Right. You can, be, yes, you can be, point. you can have a lot of self-esteem, but still have been lonely, still have been put down, still have something that's kind of missing that you've never, maybe you've never had that kind of love before. That's not a self-esteem issue, but it's a, it's a missing piece of you. It's, it's something you want. And these people are wonderful at slipping in and providing it. They are. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you what I think they are, and you tell me where I'm right and where I'm wrong. How about that game? I found them okay. to be incredibly manipulative, like on a level beyond what you can imagine. Master liars, 
and not even great liars, but they lie about a lie. And what would it, what else? I had another one that I thought, uh, master manipulators, fabulous liars. Oh, and uh, unending gaslighters. So where am I right? Where mm-hmm. am I wrong? Oh, I think you can see, you see all of those uh, with narcissistic personality disorder. Absolutely. Well, um, gaslighting you know, is thrown the, around a lot lately. So let's talk about gaslighting, what that is, what it isn't, and how it plays into this disorder. Uh, you know, these are more um, societal termed ways of communicating the different ways uh, personality disorders or narcissistic personality disorder people uh, manipulate those that they're in relationship with. And so gaslighting is the visual image I get of it. And it's going to be stereotyped with the male um, being the narcissist here. But again, females can be that. Um, is say the woman is screaming, raging somewhere, maybe yelling, you know, at the man in public. The man's walking away and like shaking his head like this woman is crazy. And everybody's looking at the woman like the woman is crazy. So what happened with the gaslighting happened that nobody else was privy to. And so that gaslighting is pushing, can push a person into being the explosive one. I mean, granted, we're responsible for our own behaviors, but pushes us into, first of all, we think we're crazy. And because of how we behave, sometimes when we're questioning our own reality. So we think the reality is this way. And the, our partner or our coworker, whomever it is, is saying, no, that it, like they're, they're saying that you're crazy. That is not what's happened here. That is not what this is about. And boom, because of that fear and you begin to believe your sense of reality is wrong. You're the crazy person. And they set that up for you so that you can question your own self-identity. So typically been there, been there. And if you're listening to this and it's not my husband, let me just say that. um, But I've been around a narcissist and the the way I describe it is feeling like a cat chasing its tail. That's the way they would make me feel because it would go around in this never ending circle. And the circle was always me and my problem. And there's nothing wrong with them. And they would just it would just go around and around and you're just standing there because you know truth and you know what things are. And someone is telling you grass is not green. Two plus two is right. not four. And it, mm-hmm. it and makes eventually you, it makes you crazy. Yeah. It makes yes, you feel like it makes I'm you crazy. Think you're crazy. Like what is my problem? Oh, and then, and then you start coming out and acting crazy because I have experienced because you lose your shit when, when you just eventually yeah, lose when I your was shit. Younger. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I used to get in. Like, I, this sounds really bad, but I was in my twenties, so <laughs> so everything is forgivable when you're in your twenties. But it got to the point where I was so angry because I knew what was going on, and it was like no, 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 that I would just start throwing punches because I was so angry. Oh dang! At the Hitting fact people. that well. Listen. Absolutely. (laughs) You may not know uh, Christine's alter ego, Jeannie from the hood. Meet Jeannie. (laughs) Jeannie hits people. Jeannie hits people. What Christine is describing is very, I mean, it's very typical though. It is very typical. Because it raises your frustration. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
particularly in very like, close relationships like that. I was in a relationship yeah. with this person. And so for me, I think where some of the frustration come about, you can relate to this, Christina, is they're doing things that impact me. Yes. My finances, yes. my life, my everything. Yes. And I have zero control. And when you try to talk to them, they make you think you're just out of your mind. Oh, Either that, you've it's got all, it all wrong. That it's all made up. Yeah. You've got this all, all wrong. Up. You, you just don't understand. Mm-hmm. Familiar mm-hmm. phrases, Liz? Absolutely familiar phrases. In fact, so when I was thinking earlier when you were talking about everybody's manipulative or in narcissistic personality disorder, um, you know, often it's, you know, what's at the other, what do they gain from it? And that's one of the signs too, is that typically uh, a narcissist has no issue using anyone uh, for their own gain, whether that be for them to feel better about themselves, for them to gain, you know, money, power, control, any of it. Well, and, and I'll tell you, I, I think that you hit the nail on the head is what do they gain from the, for themselves is that first thing that you said, which is, you know, feeling more important than what they are. And it goes back to that missing empathy. I can see why you have no problem. This is making more sense. Why you have no problem using anyone for anything because you have no empathy and you have no ability to feel that that is Mm -hmm. wrong. Yeah. Well, and also rem- it's it's just a world of you. I apologize. So I, no, it's okay. my middle schooler studying myth- Greek <laughs> mythology right now. So that's why I'm into the the narcissists of in the Greek mythology. You know, the the myth is is that they I think it was a he looked into the river would see the reflection and just be absorbed in that. And people would come and want to have romantic interest or date and just you know that. Now that's the myth, but it's that total absorption. The only reason you're here. Maybe because, you know, I think you're funny, but that's not, you're everybody and everything and every system is here that I can use to meet my needs, period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take a quick break. I never see him cry. L- listen, I remember my bank accounts would be drained. Um, It would just be, it just not be good. And I but mean. But they probably told you it really wasn't. The money was just somewhere else coming back in there and things like that. You, oh you my just gosh. don't understand. All the time. All the time. <laughs> I, well, know this, what, I know this well, What happened? Well, let's I'm take a confused. quick break. And I want to come back to studying this a little bit more deeply. We'll be right back. If you walked around on pool decks and in the sand all summer, wearing those cute little sandals and going barefoot, then your feet may look like mine and they may need a little love and care. In comes Sandbar Hand Care. This is a special foot file that will get rid of those calluses on those feet and leave them feeling smooth. So if you're crawling into bed at night and the heels of those feet are catching on the sheets, go order yours now. This metal file gently buffs away that dead skin. It removes just enough to really make a difference but not leave your feet sore. And it even comes with a salve to apply after you've gotten rid of that dead skin. I'm already thinking of who I'm getting this for Christmas. They sent us one to try and I fell in love immediately. And mine's even pink. How could you go wrong here? So ladies, head over to sandbarhandcare.com. That's sandbarhandcare.com. And use the code MOXIE15 and you'll get a discount on your order. And all those gifts that you pick up for the holidays. Now back to the show. 
Well, we're back, guys, with licensed clinical social worker Liz Watley, and today we're discussing narcissism. And I know that doesn't sound like a common midlife topic, but I see it impacting people around me. I see people around me exhibiting narcissistic behaviors. I see people misusing this term. So I think it's relevant and we're doing it. So Liz, we -hmm. were talking about these traits that they seem to have, the manipulation, lying, gaslighting. And I want to spend a little time on gaslighting because, you know, we mentioned it before and kind of what it might look like. But again, I think this is a term that's overused today in society. We really don't understand it. But I also want to talk about what to do if someone is gaslighting you. How do you react to that? Because when you're dealing with someone who's a narcissist or even just has some of the tendencies or the tools that narcissists use, they probably would call them, it, you know, it's, it's, you cannot deal with them like you're dealing with a normal person. Normal rationale, tears, letting them know how upset you are is not going to have any bearing here, right? Not typically, no. I mean, I would say, yeah, they are operating on a different um, way of being. So first, I would encourage anyone to, you know, examine their type of relationship with this person. So I'm going to be honest with you, Gail, if I don't have, um, if I'm not married to this person, uh, legally bound to this person, if they aren't in charge of my like work, or, you know, if they aren't one of these big areas, if it's a neighbor that I've now associated this with or somebody, an acquaintance, um, I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't maintain the relationship. Uh, there's, there's, it's not healthy. Yeah. It's not going to get anywhere for me personally. So I'd say if you have a, a way to, to discontinue the relationship, discontinue it, particularly if it's somebody that you know is not um, actively getting help in this. That only means that if you get to kind of the cat and mouse, it really means you're just the mouse here running around feeding their okay. need for self-indulgence. Okay. Well, let, let me pause you there because you said if they're not actively getting help. So I'm thinking, well, if they constantly gaslight people, how can they really truly get help? You know, how do you know if that if that is working, if therapy is working, if they're being being truthful? Like you don't know if they're manipulating the situation. Am I just totally off base here? Because I'm thinking, no, 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 well, no. how would I, think, I, I mean? No. Here's here's like, the first thing. I would how would ask you know? Liz. I suspect that narcissists are some of the last people to come to therapy. No, because I don't um, need therapy. <laughs> That's right. They're I'm not thinking. the problem. Right. So first of all, you wouldn't know that with a random person. So most of the time, um, and I and I don't specialize in working with or treating people with narcissistic personality disorder. So I want to make that clear. Right? You just um, run. <laughs> when they call the office, <laughs> yeah. She's yeah. all she'll yeah. deuces. No appointments <laughs> available. Yeah, I'm good. Um, no, so in other words, there may be things that I miss here, but in gen- I just want to also give that in general. So m- uh, my experience is that um, a narcissistic personality disordered person will come in uh, to therapy or be involved in therapy at the request of their spouse, their partner, their adult child, or um, if something has gone on uh, enough to warrant other behaviors in the workplace. So it's, um, in other words, you may get a workplace 
referral. Uh, I ended up using air quotes with that because a lot of times people with narcissistic personality disorder are very successful. So um, this would be pattern behavior, but in the workplace, it would go um, hand in hand typically with, say, some infraction. So whether that's sexual harassment, substance abuse, um, or arrogance to the point of bullying and being abusive behavior. Same thing in marriages and in other interpersonal relationships that are close. So typically, Mm. if a narcissist is going into therapy, it's because they've developed a substance abuse disorder in addition to, or porn addiction in addition to, um, or they are having major problems in their marriage and their wife or husband have brought them along, uh, or, you know, Somebody's dragging them there, in other words. And even if they go on their own, then, um, yes, a therapist who is not, in other words, it's it's not responsible for me to treat an individual for narcissistic personality disorder myself. Why? Because I have not been extensively trained in how to treat and work with a person with that. There's very specific things that, you know, um, I think it's called mentality. It's like CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, except it's called mentalization-based therapy. So mentalization-based therapy has seen some positive effect with people who have narcissistic um, personality disorder. Your regular, what we call psychodynamic psychotherapy approach is, is actually, statistics or studies have shown could actually do the opposite and be worse for uh, the behaviors of a narcissist because they're coming in individually, not as a couple, and they're talking about uh, things that they want attention for. And then they're having that stroke that, you know, that having a lot of compassion given to them. And typically you're not going to get anywhere with behavior changes because like you said, Gail, they they probably want to admit it on their own. Now they come in with a partner or something different. You know, I have that right there. I've seen this. Yeah, because I've seen this and I was wondering, well, how how do you how do you identify if they're really getting help if they're going in on their own? You know, they like you said, their ego is getting stroked because they're they're only telling one side of their story. Well, also here. Here's my favorite with narcissists that therapist doesn't know what they're talking about. They, that's my favorite uh, in people in general. Um, <laughs> but also, you know, what you'll see too is a narcissist in therapy um, will also often use their therapist as another um, weapon against their partner or whomever they're. So, you know, well, my therapist says blah, 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 and that you just need to blah, blah, blah. You know, Even so if you're sitting in the room you were to have sex and with- heard the therapist, they will tell you that therapist mm. said something that therapist did not say. And you're like, that's no, I was there. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that my would be an example of gaslighting. <laughs> because it's again, it's challenging your reality. What you experience is making it's a whole different view of that. Another thing that will you find is a high level of jealousy too, and that can be in two different ways. That can be jealousy of other people, um, even if they won't say the word "I'm jealous of," but it's, it seems like a preoccupation of "Did you see what so and so is doing?" Whether that be around their physical appearance, their success, their amount of money they have, whatever it is. Um, did you see this? You know, or this idea that everybody's jealous of them. 
And so what, what gave me that, where I went, why I jumped there too, is because sometimes you'll see that projection onto a couple's therapist where it's, you know, well, you know, she or he, who if the therapist, um, he just, you know, wants to sit around and tell me how to do this, but really he wishes he could live in the kind of house that I live in or whatever it may be. He's just jealous oh. of me. So okay. I have, I, I know, I know. Okay. So I know somebody who it, it's a female and I, I know that you said that it's a very small percentage, but I can see this pattern. It's right. not me. For our no, 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 no. It's <laughs> well, not. You. I do think there's gender I, I would bias never, here. I would never I, say, say somebody's name. I just, I can, I pick, I, I can pick up on these patterns. Um, and the patterns of manipulation and the patterns of the weaponizing their therapist, their doctors, their, you know, um, it, which is not good or healthy. Let's be clear. They can weaponize about anything. R- well, yeah. Yeah. And the whole jealousy thing. Oh, they're j- it's because they're jealous. Like I have literally been standing there and heard a narcissist telling a story or recounting something. And I'm just like, (laughs) what? That is not how that went down in any way. (laughs) So before we run out of time, because I think we've kind of identified what this might look like. And I know some people out there thinking this tells me a lot about such and such person in my life. One, I want to cover what you can do if, Mm -hmm. you know. Like, First of run? all, if you, like you, like <laughs> she said, if you're not blood related, employed by or married to, you should probably consider right. the party. Yes. Mm-hmm. If you are blood related, married, employed by, what some things you can do to not go crazy yourself and not be gaslit and upset all the time. That's the first one. But I do want to save a chunk of time for talking about the narcissist themselves because these are people too. And we want to have mm-hmm. some compassion, even though they have no ability for compassion unless it's serving them. Um, it, they're sick. They're ill. And sometimes when we, like when we have a psychopath or a sociopath or any of these things, we have a hard time extending empathy because of their impacts on other people. But if we're going to be fair about mental illness, we can't just take the ones that are cute and fuzzy, the ones that where the person seems worthy of our love and our compassion, we've got to look at mental illness as a whole and understand it. It doesn't mean let them trounce on you, but I think you know what I mean, Liz. I think we've got to have some compassion. And so I'm I'm glad you said that. Yes, we can have compassion. In fact, uh, you know, donate to mental health to advocate for um, more ability to testing, more insurance coverage, to uh, understanding, you know, the differences and to receive treatment, more, you know, research and testing done to see what types of treatment um, assist in this. And that doesn't mean that we need to have a relationship with someone. So love and relationship, Mm -hmm. compassion and relationship are different. Um, You know, we can love someone and have compassion for them and really support a cause like mental health and not judge them for being bad people, but being self-aware enough to know Liz is not Liz's best self when I am a cat chasing my tail, as you said earlier, Gail. I'm responsible for me. This one's hard though. This one is hard because the minute you show compassion or empathy or love, it's almost like, okay, 
I feel like their brain's saying, okay, I got him back where I want him. Okay, I got him in a place. Mm-hmm. That's the way it feels to me when you show any clean. So in my the- number one thing is to that you, yeah, first of all, if you're in relationship with this, to get your own counseling, period. Get your own counseling and develop your relationship with your therapist where you're being honest about how you feel. And if you're afraid that a therapist is going to tell you, oh, wow, I think your partner um, has narcissistic personality disorder. First of all, if you're already afraid of that, the likelihood that your partner does is pretty high because you've you've apparently researched it and think it's, you know, accurate in some way. But a therapist's job is not to tell you or to diagnose people they've never seen before. So, I mean, truly, if I'm seeing a woman who comes in and says, my partner, and, and goes over the things, I might say to the person after several sessions where I'm seeing this pattern of behavior, I'm hearing it, I'm hearing examples of things that I know are, you know, aligned with narcissistic personality disorder. I may suggest that something sounds like that, but I can't diagnose somebody that's not in my office. So know that. Get your own therapy. Um, talk about it. Talk about it. That th- it's anything that's isolated and a narcissist doesn't want you to talk about it. <laughs> you know, so I mean, again, Yes. Healthy systems are open systems, okay? Unhealthy systems are closed systems. So I don't mean that you are the gossip of the town and you're telling everybody's business, but it's healthy adults are able to discern somebody that they can confide in about an issue that ha- they're having. So if it's somebody at work, if you have an HR, hopefully you do, communicate with somebody in HR about here's what's happening. If it's that kind of work relationship, I would document everything, write down your interactions with the person and what steps you're taking, because you want to protect your job, what steps you're taking to, you know, um, have a positive work environment with this person. But I would make HR your friend and communicate, communicate, communicate for your own sanity. Now, if it's your partner, spouse, uh, child, whomever, it's, you know, get your own therapist and then really start being clear yourself. So that may be that you start to journal, you know, be aware of your own substance abuse because the, the unpredictable behavior of another can often lead the victim of narcissistic abuse to want to numb, to numb out, dissociate, you know, leave the body in some way, um, sleep Take I mean the they, they're fine yes yep. they're trying to find Escape. a way give me a bottle <laughs> it's it's Escape. chaotic it's chaotic to because it, it is deal. like you're caught it, in a vortex that cat chasing is telling you just want to get off the 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 yes. little ferris yeah. wheel absolutely i remember i would come home from from work and i mean i lived in an area where they had the big bottles big, huge bottles of Moscato, Sutter Homes Moscato, you know, and I would draw a bath, Uh, right? I would draw a bath and I would drink the whole bottle because I was just like, I, I can't deal with my life right now. Like I can't deal with this crazy stuff that's going on. But then I also, you know, have my other dispositions. So I no longer drink, but well, you know, I that was a huge deal. What you're talking about, Christine, is the thing that the normal coping mechanisms we would mm-hmm. have to sit down, have a conversation right. to provide right. proof of the situation. And that resolves it, you know, show our receipts, you know, 
talk logically. Those things don't work in this situation. They do not. Mm-hmm. I right. had a situation where absolutely you could say, here's a piece of paper. Here's the ink on the paper. Here's what the paper says that you took <laughs> this money out of the bank account or this happened or you did this thing. And they're like, no, don't. I, I made a mistake. I'm like, yep. <sighs> I mean, you just, <laughs> yeah, there's nothing you could say. And you just want just to punch right him in the cliff. throat. <laughs> well, Jenny, that was your way of in handling fact, it. Punch <laughs> him in the throat. Punch him. Just punch him. In punch fact, him. one of the questions that I encourage people to ask, because it, it, when you're in a relationship with a, somebody, it it can make you feel like you're the crazy person. And I don't want to mm-hmm. make light of that because it is, um, the more distant you are from a situation, the easier it is to handle. But when you have been living inside of a home with someone who has, you know, moment in, moment out, knows you better than, you know, anybody, constantly wearing away at what you think about your own self and you're drinking and you're doing whatever, which just then only to yourself seems to add proof that something is wrong with you. Something's wrong. Yeah. Right. Right. Then you, you, aren't typically up for asking for help. Um, But then, you know, it can be so terrifying to begin to confront the person with even small things, like you're saying, Gail, like, like you would quote a normal person. And so one of the questions that I've used myself when dealing with this kind of person and also encourage clients is to ask yourself, is, is this that odd of a question for anybody to ask their spouse? You know, or is it, you know, if to say it, in other words, is this something that you think most healthy adults can conversate about without being angry with one another? A lot of times the answer is yes. They, you know, I I think I, most healthy adults, but in this situation, there's your flag. As soon as your brain starts to go, but with him or with her, you know, I know they will, no, you, you, well, in this whole thing, then it's an acceptable thing to discuss. When that's a red flag, when people start to tell you that, and you know, you, you kind of let it slide a time or two, you, sorry about the dog, you know, if, especially if you love this person, you, you want to believe certain things about them. That's, that's kind of what happens when we're in, when we're in a relationship or, you know, in a blood bond with these narcissists that we want them to do the right thing. And we want to believe that there's an explanation and so we believe explanations that we normally wouldn't believe, right? Well, and then as soon as we have gotten the confidence to say, hey, this is not okay. This is how you made me feel. We may have had a dozen roses just delivered to us in the next hour or come home to our favorite cooked meal and, and just how I really, you know, maybe need to take the weekend off, honey. And I mean, it is so mind warping. They try to put you, you in a position where you can't say anything because then if you say anything in that moment, then you're just being a bitch and you're the problem. That's how that whole, I mean, okay. So mm-hmm. the one thing we did t- it is for a lot of narcissists, it's one of their telltale signs too, is that they cannot handle criticism at all in any mm-hmm. form. And so it's, it's not an always, um, because some will pretend to be one way at first and then change it. But I have, um, as I've gotten into my years of life, uh, been able to notice that in meetings and so forth that you can, um, okay, sorry, I thought someone was talking. In meet, I can, I can see where someone, if I, if I were to say, 
I would edit this line to say this, this, or this. And the person may go along with it, but then all of a sudden they have a chip on their shoulder and they are really just um, blocking you out. It's because they receive some criticism in their mind. Even if it's constructive, they cannot handle that. And you become the enemy. That's the thing is there's very few people to a narcissist that are just neutral people. I have so many neutral people in my life. They're just people that are in my, they're neutral people, right? They're not my enemy. They're not my best friend. They're just people. They're just to people. Yeah. A lot of people with narcissistic personality disorder, there are no neutral people. You're, mm. you're either with us or you're against us is how they see the world. Wow. Wow. Oh, whoops. Sorry. Um, the dog had to chase the chipmunk who I think the chipmunk may be a narcissist because he's always effing with my dog. <laughs> I I totally see what you're saying because I think one of the earliest signs, if you've ever saw someone who you think is starting to exhibit these, one of the things I've noticed is they cannot handle authority very well. Um, mm-hmm. They like any authority who likes them. Like if they have a teacher who tells them they're great all the time, that's their favorite teacher. But the minute they get a bad grade or get in trouble with anything, that teacher is, and it's like you say, so extreme you're my favorite or I hate you. There is no in between with these people. And that's kind of scary. And it's scary how quickly they move people from one to the other. So I think Mm -hmm. that. And if you're in a long-term relationship with someone, you will experience both sides of those, uh, of that coin all the time. That just seems exhausting. Anybody who tells me anything's wrong is the bad person, the wrong person, terrible person. And, you know, you said something earlier about, advocating, you know, mental health. And one of the things I'm an advocate of is earlier intervention. I think we need a medical, I mean, a psychological mental professional in our lives, just like we need a medical professional in our lives from a very early age. So that when we start to, I'm not saying to diagnosis people, but when we start to see tendencies, leanings, signs, I feel like these things can be dealt with earlier on a lot better than when they become an ingrained part of our life. And because think about it, if you are a narcissist, once you have developed these coping skills and this way of living, even with professional help, and even if whatever was in your brain was turned off, that you suddenly had empathy, it's still going to be very hard to break the cycles and the patterns of behavior that have served you for so long. And that's scary to me. Now, has, has there anybody? Well, has there any? Has uh, anybody ever? One sec, been I know where you're covered. Go, yeah, yeah. Let's go to that next. But one, one more thing, because I'm not sure we finished your list of if you're around somebody. Because I know she didn't say boundaries, and I, I think that absolutely certainly. boundaries. Yes. Now yes. they're not going to like and, and again, it. It's, uh, not typically. And again, it just depends on what kind of relationship. It's, it's very different being married to somebody with narcissism. I mean, I'd say that you're sharing uh, or having a parent um, that's a narcissist. But, if you know, somebody that you share a home with, children with, uh, it's much more complicated. And I highly recommend you being your own counseling. Um, but yes, at, you know, as far as it goes, I think the most important thing about boundaries, Gail, is the con- your consistent use of that. And so, you know, one thing... A, being a manipulator, narcissist is going to notice the one time if you say, I don't work past 530, period, and then you stay late for a project, 
but you don't explain why you do or whatnot. They're going to use that. Well, you stay, you do for this and you do for that. And I mean, in, in other words, it's the consistency with your boundaries that's the most important. Ooh, and that's hard sometimes. And then also realizing you, a lot of times people who are victim of narcissistic abuse or uh, in a relationship with a narcissist, I mean, we are bending over backwards trying to find how to keep things at peace. And if you're noticing that you're doing that, then that's when you need to take a step inward and just remember, it's okay for you to change your mind too. So while I said the consistency with boundaries helps, um, it just helps deescalate. If you're things, always right? moving your boundary line lines, is, yeah, that's a red flag. If you're constantly moving your black line, I don't cross or I don't tolerate, that's that's a sign that you need more support because because of you, an excuse that they've given you for their behavior. If that's why you move it, be aware of your why. So if I move my I don't see clients on the weekends because I've been home with sick kids for two full weeks and now my husband's here for the weekend, he can hang with the kids while I can see clients. I have moved my boundary for a why that serves me. That makes sense. Yes, now, if I absolutely. have somebody that says I must be seen on the weekend because I da 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 da, and I need this and I require this, am I moving my boundary for them? No, I move my boundary for me. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think that also comes to moral and ethical issues, especially if you're a younger gal and you're dating, or even more mature women who are doing things like dating, when people are trying to push you into things that you're not comfortable with and they're manipulating you and gaslighting you to move boundaries of your moral and ethical principles, that's a red flag. And the warning, and warning, I will say one, a narcissist I agree. And like another it. red flag, if you're in relationship with, is um, everybody else that you're close to is not, not liking what the person's doing sometimes. Now, sometimes the person is so very charming that everybody else is seeing only the charming part of it. Um, and can't see the real thing. But if you are having your best friend and your mama and, you know, your great grandmother who knows you more than anything saying, this is not, this doesn't seem right. You you don't see yourself or this, you know, whatever it is, pay attention, not just to one person, but if you're seeing there's a collective group of people that I know care deeply about me that are saying this, this isn't something seems off here, pay attention. I love what you said, though, that they may not see it because sometimes that's when it's hard to talk about is when other people don't see it. You're going to, again, sound crazy or this is the one last part I want to get in on this side and then I want to switch. Sometimes your care for someone, your love for someone, especially if they're a spouse, a blood relation, someone you love dearly, you don't want everybody to know the truth about them. And I think that sometimes makes it hard if you're being victimized by a narcissist. Even though they're doing these awful things to you, you still don't want to, especially if you're an empath or you're a very caring type person, you will protect them. Especially like if you're married to someone and you know they're narcissists, you don't want them to lose their job. You don't want them to. Which um, could be a police officer, a pastor, a politician uh, and, you know, an actor. I mean, it can be any job, a lawyer, a, you know, a lot of times you do see higher amounts in the profession where they're getting a lot of attention and have a lot of power over people. 
which I'm for. So, and yes, I'm, when you were talking, I imagine, say, a pastor's wife who's going, I, I'm supposed to be by their side all the time. I'm supposed to, you know, and I have this whole congregation who's not seeing this truth that I see behind closed doors. So, yes, that's absolutely reality. Get well, a lot your of times your whole financial, <laughs> if your husband is a politician, a pastor, any of these, and he's the sole provider, if you speak up and he loses that position, right. you and your kids go hungry. So mm. a lot of times these, especially women, will just go along and play the role because mm-hmm. people are like, why didn't you say something? Right. Why and did, if you're employed you by, tell, your you know? paycheck goes through. Right. Absolutely. And so, you know, again, I can't stress enough, get in with your own therapist because they can help you and, you know, begin to make plans for how to protect yourself emotionally, financially, spiritually, physically, and to begin to, you know, whether the person's willing to get treatment or not, but just make a plan that's individualized for you. I'm laughing, not because that's funny, just because we record this show on Mondays and we have this laughing joke that Mondays is when the garbage service comes. Monday is when the landscapers do my neighbor's yard. Monday is when the chipmunk's going to mess with my dog or the cat. And now, once again, people fell trees on Monday and I hear a neighbor cranking up a chainsaw. You cannot make this up. This is gaslighting me, Liz, these neighbors and their yard tools. So let's talk about the narcissist. I th- Christine, I think you were going to ask that million dollar yeah. question. Yeah, so so can they be healed? Can they be restored? Can recover. they recover? You know, what is that? What's the probability of that? Uh, and, you know, again, um, I don't have a specialty in narcissism. So people who are studying it right now, you know, maybe in school right now doing their thesis or dissertation on narcissistic personality disorder are going to be the most up to date with the right now research on it. Um, which is also to say we don't have a lot of research on it. So in other words, mm. if, if they're studying it, then they're studying it right now, you know, in their own thing. So they're, you know, one thing that I found in doing research for the show today too, and I, I got it on a level of um, kind of intuitive level when I've worked with people, um, but I haven't seen it in language this way. A uh, high functioning uh, narcissist is, you know, or somebody who has say narcissistic traits, but so think again, everything's on this continuum or their scale. So it doesn't mean that every single person who exhibits a narcissistic tendencies has zero empathy, right? So if you think of it like a balancing scale, the higher level of empathy or, or the higher their motivation is to, to maintain this marriage, to maintain, you know, sometimes you can see with a higher level of empathy, you can absolutely see a healthier uh, way of life. And I'd say those are, when I say high functioning, I mean, again, think of vision. You've got people who can see 2020 and you have people who are blind. And then you have a host of different prescriptions in between. You know, we, when we think of narcissistic personality disorder, we often think of the worst. So let's say blind in that case. I would say recovery is extremely challenging um, and difficult to maintain. It, it, the more ingrained a pattern is of a way of being is, the more it's worked for them and, and maybe even the more successful they are, the less losses that they've had to endure. Um, 
the less likely they're going to live a recovered life and more likely that they live a life where they're bouncing um, maybe every 10 years. It may not be every year, but they're bouncing from career to, um, you know, person. So there's that part. Now, a high-functioning narcissist who, let's say their narcissism was extremely worse while they were on cocaine binges or, you know, um, in this particular career role or when they were president or, you know, when they were in the Senate or something. So you can see a higher healthy functioning of life and more positive rapport with say, their spouse uh, with certain types of treatment. It's, we just don't have a lot of research, to be honest. Mm. I would say it's very difficult. It has to have the person, the narcissist to be fully on board with their heart too, and able to maintain it for the long run. So this isn't like a, Hey, let's come in for six weeks and knock this out. And now I'm good. You know, yeah. this is a long run if you want to maintain it. And I don't like to say anything's impossible. Uh, I don't think it's impossible, but I think the more empathy you have, on that, in that scale, the higher the likelihood that you will be able to have a healthy life. Um, mm. Mm. That's scary, wow. Liz. That's scary. I think Are there by any the time medications you've that help with this? Um, the, in general, in narcissistic personality disorder, again, it's in the um, what we call cluster B. Cluster B is is the personality disorders. The um, from borderline personality disorder to um, histrionic, antisocial. Antisocial is the more criminal, where you see more of the sociopaths and so forth. Um, so in general, just medication is it the go-to. It's a very structured, I mean, I, perhaps three times a week, um, mental, you know, you train your way of being, train your behavior to respond differently. Having said that, there are often other things that people um, may have, say like OCD personality disorder and narcissistic personality disorder, or they may could have something that helps them sleep um, or something that helps with their anxiety or um, something that helps regulate their moods. So you can certainly have medication that can support the person recovering from narcissistic personality disorder, but it's not prescribed just for that reason. It wouldn't be. It would be for one of the comorbidities you're saying. Correct. Yes. Yeah. I can see how anxiety and narcissism could go hand in hand. Well, I've seen some highly emotional narcissistic people too. So it's, you know, it's not your, it's not always just your flat, just, you know, smiling um, kind of person. I mean, I've seen some really, um, you know, devastated. And again, that's when we have that narcissistic injury. You know, if somebody is threatened, is fired from a job or, you know, something, it is just as if their whole world is gone. But it's typically emotion about themselves, right? It's self-focused type emotions. It's about themselves and and their fear of um, the perceptions of other people. Hmm. And so with somebody who, you know, you'll see as seems like nothing bothers them, you know, that they can take a, you know, they, they think they're better than everyone all the time. And then randomly they're in a puddle on the floor crying or raging. Uh, rage is much more associated with it, but there's this highly emotional reaction to what they perceive other people think about them. And so it leaves you confused because here it is. 
you know, you get from them the majority of time that other people think they're so great, particularly you say you're the spouse at home and, you know, come back from work. It's, I mean, everybody thinks this person is so great, so great, so great, you know, but, and then randomly annoying. that's challenged, right? And it's, you see a, a very broken person, but oftentimes they seem to, to be able to far s- between. They be able to, I've seen someone that I think is a narcissist cycle through these in one encounter where it starts with the, uh, like the, they may feel a little down, then it moves to the anger outburst, and then it moves to the crying outburst, all in one sitting. Is that something we see with them normally? That fast it, Unpredictable through? is the way to describe it, yes. And so what I have found with the people that I've had relationships with, with narcissistic tendencies, which unfortunately, has been a, a quite a many people. Um, the common denominator is being unpredictable. The minute and the minute I think I know what's going to happen from this conversation, it is something very different. It spins to a different place. And I'm often, I mean, you're left going with your hands on your head like, what? What's what's To that? me, it almost you know? feels or like they have a deck of cards and they're fine. with all their little things they do, all their tactics and tools. And they just start going through their deck. Here, I'll try this with her. And then when they see that that's not working, they just pull out another one out of the deck. And it's like it spins on a dime and they'll ride that out till it's clear that's not going to make you budge. And then they go to the next card in the deck. And that's when you're going, what the hell just happened? What the hell just happened? Yeah. And so it's a different way. You know, I go about things, you know, from my my heart and how I'm feeling and then also how I might imagine the other person's feeling. And, you know, it, the calculation of how to choose a behavior is just very different. It's one I don't think the three of us can comprehend and most people can't comprehend, in fact, which is, you know, what's going to help me win in this moment as I define win. And then that's, that's the choose the term card, the card, that's the behavior I'm going to choose. Wow. What a fascinating subject, Liz. You've that, and that's why it's on shame because that's why it's on the continuum of shame because they they cannot handle the idea that they're going to lose something. Where we might go, how can you lose a conversation over where we're going to dinner? It's like that's not even something that you lose something with. But for them, it's good. They the way they see others, the pedestal or not good, right? You know, or you know, they're in love with them. Or it's the way they see themselves. If I am not perfect and being admired and whatever else, then I must be the worst human in all the world. Mm. Well, the vacillation of those emotions that just run so wide on the pendulum, that's that's just a tough boat to ride in, even if you didn't have all the other stuff. But the fact that these people live in this constant shame and this constant fear, I think of being found out is probably part of it, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. They, if they can see and I, if they're participating in behaviors that are really lying or behavior like legal behaviors, then yes, of course, that'll be it. But you also it's have to be stressful who aren't doing illegal behavior. And it, it hurts my heart for people to know, to think that they think they have to go to that extreme to be loved, to be accepted, to be successful. And you just wonder, where were they so damaged that took them to this place? That's what's kind of heartbreaking right. to well, me you about mentioned, it. 
you mentioned um, early intervention. And I'll just mention real quick before our time runs up is that, you know, I think that would be very difficult to do, um, but I would be very interested if, if able to do that. We can do that when it comes to oppositional defiant disorder, you know, which is just being not accepting any authority whatsoever. And the, um, you know, their the child may be defiant, but you aren't seeing a lot of ODD, oppositional defiant people turn into somebody with narcissistic personality disorder. Those things are, you know, so I think the, the what we're looking more at is um, actually high functioning, what appears on paper, more wealthy um, families are doing, you know, well-off families that can't afford things like a nanny and whatnot and have the emotional neglect, though, of a parent. So in other words, it'd be, it's very difficult to reach because of our, they typically are making good grades, you know, they um, have the resources to be doing all these things. I, I don't, unless it's family involvement um, or the parent, you know, then there's, there'd be very challenging to pinpoint it. Well, even early, I'm thinking about across the spectrum of mental just wellness in general. I'd love for us to become a society that focuses not on mental disease, but on mental wellness and that, that we are checking in with people, whether that intervals at five years old or 15 years old, you know, because I do think teenagers can start to show some signs of narcissism. I have seen some signs start, but any of these, I just wish we could all, because think about it this way, Liz, what if that narcissist early on had that therapist that they could really be honest with about what they're feeling before it led to these coping. These are coping behaviors, basically, right? That they exhibit. It's how they cope. Correct. Yes. And so, yeah, you know, I think there is some um, strategies as far as increasing empathy. So I would say the focus is more on how do how do we, yes, I agree with you as far as diagnostic around the board. If we can increase empathy in children, and in young adults and teenagers, for instance, how do you think that might feel uh, to the person who didn't have the stop sign up because you took the stop sign down and then they ran it and, you know, T-boned another car? You know, really getting into what that was like for someone else, getting out of yourself or what that was like for you to say this or showboat or whatever. Teaching these small, small discussions where you on empathy can really decrease mm. the likelihood of later in life narcissistic personality disorder. I love that. A lot of times the parent or whomever's at home is only encouraging it um, in a way or are putting their child down so significantly that they're having to put, you know, put this guard up around everyone else. It must be when they're alone. I always think about when you're alone in your thoughts and no one's around, you know, laying in the dark at night. Even though they're not empathetic, they still must feel some kind of way. And there's, there's, when you talk about shame, I think there's also a lot of fear. And I just, just want to be empathetic to that. That these, these are not people that woke up one day and said, "I want to be an asshole." Um, I want to mistreat <laughs> people. Everybody, it's, in my opinion, wants to be loved. They, every, we yes, all want to be loved. Yes, and so yes. It, it's a maladaptive way of being in the world to feel worthy of being loved. And people do behaviors that get them what they want to an extent. It may be just for the moment, but that's kind of, I think, what a lot of narcissists do. They're like, what can get me what I want in this moment without thinking the long-term ramifications? And that's, again, got to be a very sad place if they have the, the cognitive 
cognizance to realize later what they've done. It's just got to be an internal battle that we just can't even understand the significance of that. You know, I'm trying to get this, so I do this, and then, shit, why did I do that? That was so just, you know, disruptive to the relationship. I don't know. Maybe on the higher functioning, more level, uh, on the higher level of empathy, um, more, the more awareness the person has of their patterns of behavior and so forth, you may see more of that. But in general, it's the people in relationship with the narcissist who are having these like really internal conversations or existential crisis over the relationship where the narcissist, a lot of times it's like, well, I think I was right. Move, let's move on. Or they're spending so much energy talking about how the other was wrong to everyone. Um, and sometimes that's on purpose to plant, to get their story out first. If it's, you know, a feud or something that they don't eat. They're taking no time to even have self-reflection. So I, I, what I love Gail that I hear you doing is to offer love and compassion to all beings, no matter what. And that's a beautiful, and I'm not suggesting anything but love and compassion. I'm also saying, you know, we can't just like the three of us couldn't be fit put in a box because we're all female. That doesn't mean we're all the same. All narcissists are not the same. And somebody who has narcissistic outbursts, narcissism, and then I'll try to start being quiet. Narcissism can, you can see narcissism in somebody who has OCD, right? That doesn't mean they have narcissistic personality disorder. They're just, they're so overwhelmed with the, their obsessions and their compulsions needing to be just so that they inadvertently are very self-absorbed and I get a lot of OCD PD, which is personality disorder. You'll see this a lot more in than OCD by in and of itself. But in other words, just because you, you get a flavor of narcissism in someone doesn't mean you're wrong. There probably is that, but it doesn't mean it's narcissistic personality disorder. Somebody mm, so who we has, shouldn't has be diagnosing exi- people. Is that the... Right. But somebody who exhibits narcissism. Yes. I think that Somebody who then feels guilty, remorse for how they treated someone that kind of come out of that fog, like, what have I done? That's not somebody I'd say has narcissistic personality disorder. I'd say that's somebody who had a narcissistic episode or, you know, went, you know, had an awareness and began to change their ways. Narcissistic personality disorder, you don't typically, their motivation is I got to keep my job. Uh, keep my wife for whatever reason, or my husband or partner, or I need to do blank. It's it's not because they have some sort of guilt or conscience that's saying, I, I feel bad for what I've done. Wow. Wow. Leah, you just blow our minds every time you come. And I'm just really enjoying this series where we're learning more about mental health and wellness, because I think it's so important. And I think it's Really important to understand what people can help and what they can't help. I think it's important to understand when we're at risk and when we have to leave relationships based on someone else's circumstances or situation or diagnosis. And I think it's really important to discuss about how we get help ourselves and how we get help for others and just all the things. I just think you are so valuable to Midlife Moxie and what you bring and how you break these things down in ways we can understand so that they aren't just terms that we toss around and they aren't just memes. These are serious issues. And, you know, the more and more we learn about mental illness and mental wellness, you know, the more we learn, the more there is to learn, it seems like. But 
Absolutely. Yes. We can, that you are so willing to always come and share your expertise and Y'all, she's a high billable per hour girl, so she gives us mm-hmm. this for free, and we appreciate it. But, Liz, thank you again. And I know we talked yesterday about the next, like every time we're talking to Liz, we've got the next episode lined up. So she'll be back in a few months. I'll have to go back and remember our conversation of what we were going to talk about. Oh, it was about <laughs> energy. Energy. Energies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, is that real? Is it not? So y'all be looking for Liz to come back again. And just thank you so much. and. Christine, thank you for being open and sharing. I, I think we're both pretty good at that, but yeah. it always feels better when you're not the only one. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Yes. So yes, we will see you next time. And Christina, what do we always say? Go and get your moxie on. Bye now. Bye.